0: Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host Steve Malkin. and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as creator of the Story City app, be the hero of your own real life, choose your own adventure, author of The Grand Adventures of Madeline Kane, lover of chocolate. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Emily Craven. Hi, everyone. Hello, Emily. To start off proceedings, can I ask you, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself?
1: Uh, In social settings, I uh, say, hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I don't know anybody here, so I thought that I would just jump into the middle of this circle.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And how does that go down?
1: Not too badly, actually, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah, people people seem to be cool with that. They're like, oh, yeah, I used to not know anyone, or, oh, that's all good, what do you do? And I'll be like, I am a writer. I write for teenagers and for apps and for things that involve words.
0: And is that when the conversation ends? Because we're like, oh, the writer's here.
1: Well, that's when I uh, then ask everybody else what they do. Because, you know, mm. it's always good to bounce off other people. Sure, yeah. Rather than sort of jump into the middle of a circle with nobody else that you know. And then just be like, me, me, me. Me, me, me.
0: <laughs> do you find that um, you're the kind of person that social settings really don't pose much of a challenge for you?
1: Uh, Yeah, not really. I am generally pretty good. It does depend on how tired I am during the day. Uh, But, yeah, I'm I'm generally pretty good. I can find something interesting to have a chat to somebody else about normally. So I just tend to ask a lot of questions uh, so that I get a feel for the person um, and then that way I kind of know when I chat what might actually interest them. So I just barrage people with a lot of questions and then slowly inject some of myself in there.
0: What is it like for you to collect other people's stories? I really
1: love collecting other people's stories because I mean as uh, a a writer a lot of what you do is very lonely you know you're writing your own stories you're hunkered in front of your computer or your your notebook and you just you're in your own world so when it comes to things like Story City and collecting stories for Story City I love um, being able to see what other people are doing with the thing that I create, and what are the stories that mean something to them, and what are the stories that are, you know, that are fire up their imagination? Um, so it, it turns on another part of my brain, and it feels more social in a way, which yeah. I
0: like. Have there been, uh, has there been an opportunity where a, a story has specifically surprised you?
1: There there was um, one particular story based out of um, the Gold Coast where mm-hmm. the guy had originally pitched basically kind of like a, a trail of, um, mini stories from like the fifties and sixties and the gold coast of, you know, different surfer people who were around the area and different characters in the location. Um, and I sort of said to him, I said, oh, it kind of needs to have that choose your own element. Um, and, and we're kind of in the modern day. So you need some sort of reason to be meeting these characters who now are either, you know, mm. they may not be alive anymore or they might be quite old. Um, and so he, I convinced him, to turn it into a time travel story, um, and and uh, the idea is is that you are going back in time to get your grandparents together, and you meet these different characters as you're yes. trying to achieve that. And um, the story that came back was awesome. This yes. this guy doesn't normally write for you know fantasy or speculative genres at all. Um, you know he writes writes a lot of biographies. He's a magazine mm. journalist, and um, the story that came back was just so much fun.
0: Um, it was,
1: and, and it was full of a really awesome history,
0: which was great. That's excellent. It's a great outcome. Mm -hmm. So what sets story city apart as a storytelling mechanism?
1: um the thing that i like about story city i mean the idea of telling stories in places not necessarily new there are quite a few mm. people who do it so you know there. are um, particularly like melbourne seems to be a very big hot spot for it so people will tell stories in location with like scrabble tiles and post-it notes and um you know ticket like you know that little tape stuff that you like type into it and it has the raised tape like they tell stories like that and with qr codes um but the thing that i suppose that i like about story city is the fact that you can set it anywhere in in the world so it doesn't require you to place anything physical in the space um it doesn't require you to monitor anything um and the thing that i really like about it is it allows you to have this multiple option thing where you know you get given a couple of different choices um, and the thing that I really like about that is then that gives you a feeling um, like as a reader a feeling of empowerment a feeling that you can actually affect change uh, in the story and the themes that the stories are dealing with um, and you know the the types of endings that you end up with are, are a little bit life, like life in the fact that things don't always work out but you can have a do-over Mm. <laughs> which which I like in the sort of gaming state where, you know, if you have a novel and it has one ending, you think to yourself, man, I didn't like that ending. Um, I suppose in this case you can kind of go back and you can try another way and you might end up with an ending that suits you as a person better. And I kind of, I, I like that. Sure. Mm. Did I answer what? that question?
0: I'm just... I think so. I think so. Okay, good. <laughs> Makes sense to me. <laughs> what opportunity would you like to have a do-over of in your life? Um,
1: I think that I would have liked to have gone with um, my heart from the beginning and gone straight into publishing and writing and those sorts mm. of creative things rather than um, doing what I did, which was I ended up going through uh, university doing a science degree. So, yes. yeah, so I um, have a degree in space science and astrophysics.
0: Oh, of course uh, you do. And
1: geology. <laughs> so, so, you know, four years of uni and then another oh, three years sort of out, I ended up working for a mining company and, and though, you know, In saying that, you know, like I met my partner then and I met a lot of great friends then and I discovered uh, a place that I probably would have never spent a lot of time in, which was Adelaide. Um, But at the same time, I kind of wish that I had started doing creative things earlier. Um, But then again, always wish that you were further ahead. Yes. (laughs) Uh, no, like, well, so space science, I never had to deal with rockets. Like those, those people who go through like the space science engineering course, they're probably the rocket scientists. I, uh, I
0: acknowledge it's not, it's not about, <laughs> you know, boosters and all of that sort of stuff, but this is, this is a, your next step is to work for NASA.
1: <laughs> I always thought so. Um, mainly as their science communicator, cause I think that would be a much more fun job. <laughs> then analyzing the stuff that comes back on their probes and stuff like that.
0: Yes, correct. Uh, it is a rock.
1: <laughs> yes, it's a rock. We think it's made out of ice and rocky bits. <laughs> Maybe we should send a million dollar probe out and check that. Um, no, that's 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 being NASA does some very awesome and important work. Um, but it was just uh, the, the reason that I kind of gave that up was yeah. because um, I, I I sort of. I had read and I, I ended up doing an internship and I got to go to Chile to work on a telescope. And while I was over there, I picked up, a you know, astronomy magazine. I was reading through it and there was some sort of article about dwarf galaxies and how they form and what they've got in them. Um, yes. And I read that and I got to the end and I went, that's lovely. What are you going to do with that information now? It's not like we can go and check it's not like we can kind of use it on earth it's just it was information for the sake of information and it just mm. was not it, it it was it was just not in, interesting to me i wanted something that you know i could do and see and create and touch Um, which is why I ended up going into geology, actually, because, you know, like when you go on hikes and things like that, you can see all of, you know, the rocks and the layers Mm. and you can kind of, you can make up this story about how it came about. And, um, you know, more often than not, I get it fairly correct. Um, When I I go back and check like pamphlets where they talk about, you know, what was the volcanics in this area and all that sort of thing. Um, And so it's, it's nice to be able to be like, over there, this sorts of thing happened. And over here, this sorts of thing happened. And the reason why these lakes are different colours is because of the minerals crossed into them. And so I like being able to do uh, that sort of thing. But at the same time, it was just, it was knowledge for the sake of knowledge when I was doing astrophysics. And it was just not, not my cup of tea.
0: Or I would expect many people's cups of tea.
1: <laughs> I got lured in because I used to love watching, well, I still do love watching Star, Star Trek and, mm-hmm. you know, you know, Star Trek is basically an adventure in space.
0: Yeah, you were looking for the final frontier. That's right. That's right. What do you, as a complete aside, and I apologise if this is lowering the tone of what is so far a very intelligent conversation that I'm not keeping up with. <laughs> uh, what do you make of the J.J. Abrams reboot of the Star Trek movies?
1: Oh, it's good. I like it that it's introducing new people in there. Um, oh. It's... <laughs> It's doing the same thing as X-Men, where it's playing with the timeline of what I know from the from the yep. universe, which is fine when you view it as its own movie, but when, like, they do stuff, it yeah. yeah, but when they do it across, like just across the new movies in general, let alone in comparison to the old stuff, And I'm just like, I feel like the level of storytelling is going a bit awry to fit in with the special effects. But at the, at the same time, I, I really think it's great. Exactly. You know, it's bringing people into the world and, you know, showing that I'm not as much of a nerd as everyone used to think I was, because it is
0: awesome. But look over there, lens flare. Exactly. Who needs story when we have, look, shiny, bright, moving things.
1: <laughs> exactly. Oh God. Um, so how
0: yeah. then does Emily decide, you know what? I dig rocks and uh, pardon the pun. And that's all great. But I'd much rather write fictional stories well, for teenagers. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, like, I've always been writing since I was in high school. So mm. I was sort of inspired to start writing my own stuff when I had learned that um, Isabel Carmody, who was a very big fantasy author here in Australia, mm. um, when she started her first novel at 14. And I was like, ah, if she can do it, I can do it when I'm 13. Yeah. Um and so and so I wrote my first novel over the course of high school. Um you know and it was stopping and starting and you know there'd be six months where I wouldn't do anything and uh but in the end you know I ended up finishing it. And um so I've always really loved writing and creating in general. Um yes. and so when I was going through university and I was freaking out that you know you know astrophysics was hard and yes I was good at it but I didn't like it. And then so you'd have people telling you, but you're so smart. You know, don't don't give up on it. You're so smart. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I also have an incredible hate for the things <laughs> that I am doing. I don't, I don't care how smart I am. Just because you think that arts is some sort of lower level of, uh, of brain activity, like it's, it, it makes me happy. And you can do some very intelligent things with art. Uh, and some of the smartest and wittiest people I know are artists and comedians, and you know. Yep. <clears throat> so, um, when I went into my mining job, it was nowhere near as fun as university. In University, you got to go on excursions mm. and like collect rocks to fun places, and it was always changing. Uh, whereas with mining, you kind of have this one tenement. Um, you you get given these surveys, and these surveys are like several hundreds of lines worth of data which you have to model. Uh, And then once you get to the end of the modeling, you've put all of the rest of the modeling out. And so you just go back and forth across these lines Mm. for months and months and months modeling. And it was one of the most boring things I've ever done. Yes. Um, Tedium. Yeah. And so I thought, well, if my plan A has turned out to be so crappy, (laughs) I might as well go with the plan B that I wanted to do all along anyway, that people told me, you know, oh, Oh, you know, you can just do that as a hobby. I was like, no, bugger that. So I started, um, you know, I started my own blog. Yep. I started learning about ebooks. You know, that was back when ebooks were really becoming a thing. And so from there, I kind of slowly worked up um, a weird set of skills. So I kind of learned how to do webinars and podcasts and, um, you know, things like YouTube interviews and all of those sorts of techie things that seem to scare mm. a lot of people in the arts community, but are really mm. easy to do. Um, and so I kind of got a name for my, myself doing, um, that sort of thing. And then I, um, was sick of the lack of opportunities for emerging artists in Mm -hmm. Adelaide, you know, there was kind of, they they had the youth arts center, but the, the only funding that came out of youth arts was like this one scholarship for a writer. And it was always the person who got it was always someone who already had a publishing contract and, you know, it was really super far along in their career that I wouldn't even really consider them emerging um yeah. and so that like that was the only opportunity for sort of young young people I mean you can do only so many courses at the writer center which is fantastic in Adelaide by the way um but before you're kind of like well you know I'm I feel like I'm all clued up and trained up and you know I, I just but I kind of need to get out there and so um I had come across QR codes at the time when I was doing all of my research. And I was like, people are using these to send people to marketing videos on websites, but God, you could do so much more with this. You could tell mm. awesome stories and people would be standing in the location where the story was set. This is great. So that was when I sort of created the pilot project for what I did with Story City. Um, and I, I will yes. confess uh, that it was uh, probably a big failure in terms <laughs> of projects, uh, because, you know, it was very bootlegged. We didn't have a lot of money. I basically mm. zip tied posters to poles, nice. um, and it was during fringe season. And so we, we lost about six to eight posters a day. Oh. Uh, and so I think maybe eight to 10 people finished it over a two-week period uh, but people were super excited about it and uh, when I moved to Brisbane the Brisbane City Council said hey that project you did in Adelaide's super cool can we do that with you and so I was able to sort of learn from the experience and then everything has snowballed from there but I mean like not only right. do I have the, so- the story city stuff which is kind of like my social creative thing where I get to work with a whole heap of really awesome artists and collaborate and, um, you know, have barbecues with people and and all of that sort of thing. And then I have my own writing and I've sort of slowly been building up um, my own set of, you know, self-published titles and, um, you know, both both written for young adults, but then also nonfiction titles. And so, um, you know, it's been like a four to five year journey and I am in much, much poorer than when I used to work in a mining <laughs> company. Um, however, yes. I just am loving life a lot more.
0: Well, that's good. Hmm. Like the, the sense of achievement and the, the valuing of your work, uh, I, I can understand if, if, you, if you feel the job you're doing is soulless, then that can just impact your overall human nature. Whereas if the thing you're doing, you feel is exciting and adds to the grand award. And it doesn't have, that doesn't mean that a mining job isn't adding to the thing, but if for you, you find that it's that thing, then yeah, finding the thing that you love is, is amazing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, you know, um, it's, it's about finding the things that you're, you're passionate for in life and, um, and, you know, but also being business minded about it as well. Like people seem mm-hmm. to think that if you're passionate about something, uh, whether it's, you know, like coding or doing arts or, you know, whatever, that um, that you shouldn't have some sort of like monetizing it as a bad thing. But I think that if you can make money off the thing that you love, then, you know, your positivity kind of affects everybody around you and makes yes. it a better place.
0: Yes, and then it just becomes a case of finding time to work with those people because everyone's passionate and inspired and doing everything and don't have time to hang out anymore.
1: Exactly. (laughs) They become your work family.
0: Yes. What is your superpower, Emily?
1: Uh, My superpower is looking at stuff that has absolutely no relation to me and then trying, and then and then being able to give people ideas to solve stuff. So, mm-hmm. so I like have a chat with people who are in completely different industries, or even just like writers who are writing in different genres to what I do. Um, and so, brainstorming is something that I really love to do. And so, my superpower is kind of like throwing ideas at people until something sticks. Um, I am the sounding board
0: of superpowers. If that makes sense. It can be really important to have that sounding board person in your circles of people because if you don't have that, then for some people, that's the best way that they think is to talk out an idea with someone. Some people internalize it and that's awesome. But if you don't have the sounding board person and you're an an out talker, then you're you're living in a dire situation because you just need to process this thing.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I need sounding board people all the time. Like I mm. cannot write my novels without sounding board people. Um, without bouncing ideas off and being like, I don't know how this character does this thing. I need Mm -hmm. something interesting to go here and I don't know what it is. I'm not quite sure how to wrap this thing up. And I need those people to bounce ideas off because if I'm just left to my own devices, it takes me months and months and months and months and months months to do it. Whereas if I have those sounding boards, I'm able to produce things um, much quicker. Um, And and so, like, I need those people. And so I suppose I try to be that person
0: to other people.
1: Um, so that I can then pick their brains in return.
0: Yes. So they have less brain after the (laughs) fact.
1: I will eat your creative brains.
0: What is your favourite TV show at the moment?
1: Mm. So, I have been watching a TV show called Continuum. Um, which is on Netflix, as are all of the shows that I have been mainlining recently. Um, (laughs) And it's really, I really like the concept. It's um, sort of you're in this future, 2077, uh, where basically corporations have taken over the role of government. um, And and so everything is being run by corporations. And what happens is there are this group of terrorists who sort of um, believe clearly that corporations and government should be separate. Um, And so they um, basically uh, blow up a building and before they get executed, they go back in time uh, so that they can change the course of history so that it doesn't turn up that way. So um, at that same time, one of the police officers who's with them also gets taken back in time and so it's kind of her role to stop the terrorists from wreaking havoc back in the past uh, and changing the future. So that's the basic premise of the story. Um, yes, and it's very, um, it's a really awesome, fun sci-fi um, show. In essence, I don't know. I don't know how deep you want me to dive into that. I don't want to go too far so that you know it's ruined for
0: people. <laughs> well, no, do. It's about. The sizzle, the things that you like and those sort of things. Because, yeah, you want, particularly you want to share it with people, right? So giving away the big hooks can be counterproductive.
1: I know, right? I know. So, but uh, needless to say, guys, it's definitely well worth a watch. Um, you know, you've got your time travel, you've got your action, you've got your police procedural, you know, and they're all meshed in together in a fun little bundle.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a bit quantum leapish, except that they only leaped once.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: What challenges you?
1: Um, at the moment, what is challenging me, I suppose, is building a business. So mm-hmm. I've never done a business degree. I haven't run a business before. And um, Story City has turned from something that is a project by project thing into something that I'm actually kind of planning to run um as a platform, I would like to make it the platform for the world's stories where people around the world can put local history stories, can put choose your own adventures, can put, you know, location based documentaries, films. I, I want it to sort of become um, this thing that allows people to explore the world through something digital. Um, and to do that, you kind of you have to build it into something um that resembles a business uh, and so for, for me it's very challenging to move into a space that I don't know um, a lot of bat. Uh, But then anytime I sort of move into those sorts of areas, I kind of just throw myself in, have a shot and and see what happens. I used to be one of those people who was really sort of a perfectionist. We have to have everything right and okay before you would ever show it to anyone, before you would ever release it. But I found that there is a wisdom in doing things to the best of your ability, sticking it out Mm. there and then seeing what the response is and then reiterating as you go. Um because you can't reach perfection um, unless you have some sort of feedback on where it's standing at the moment, because otherwise then you only have your your um, limited ideas and knowledge to create that perfection, and that is um, just impossible. Yes. And the way that I normally deal with that is I normally kind of rather than trying to reinvent the wheel and learn everything myself, I will part with other people who have the knowledge that I don't um, and, then, of and course. then kind of build up that way.
0: We don't all need to know everything, even though it appears that you do know almost all of it. Emily, <laughs>
1: I don't. I don't. Like, for example, like. I do have a science degree, right? So technically I probably could have learned how to code my own app. Did I want mm-hmm. to? No, No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that isn't so much a knowing how to do it thing. That's a uh, acknowledging. There is just some things I don't need to have to learn or know. Hmm.
1: And you, and then, but then you can provide the work for other people and, you know, everybody wins and you kind of, you build this network of people who work together on really cool projects. So it's much more fun to do things together than it is to try and do it all yourself.
0: Oh, spoken like a true extrovert, Emily. (laughs) Yes,
1: yes, that is definitely me.
0: Where is your favourite place to travel to?
1: Are you asking for my apocalypse location, Steve?
0: Uh, look, far be it from me for you to reveal the place that you will rush to when the zombies do indeed come knocking.
1: <laughs> oh, that's fine because they are also some of my favourite places to travel to. So, um, so I have I have two apocalypse locations. Yes. Uh, I would one apocalypse location is uh, Easter Island off the coast of Chile. Great. Um, so yep. when I did my internship in Chile, I was lucky enough to be able to get a flight that went through Easter Island. And it is one of the most amazing places I have ever visited in my life. Um, this is with the large carved this heads, is with isn't the it? the large giant carved heads. But the thing is that they're not just carved heads. They're actually entire statues with big bodies and bottoms. That are uh, buried. That are buried. Exactly. Wow. Um, and so the idea is, like, like so the, the the most famous picture is of the heads kind of buried up to their necks on a hillside, right? Yeah. And so they had kind of hypothesized for ages that, you know, it was just, you know, they were standing up and that there was a whole heap of erosion. They just kind of got buried. But the thing is, is that these statues are almost five or six meters tall uh, and they're only you know, five, six, seven hundred years old. So mm-hmm. the, like, and and they just, the erosion would not have been large enough to be able to bury them, which means that they buried them themselves. So why would they wow. bury their own statues? And like, then all of the hillside had like a whole heap of half-formed statues. There were statues that were almost ready to stand up. There were statues that had only been half carved. And it was just like, at some point, they all just went, yep this is a bit boring now and just dropped it and stopped doing it and they don't know why and they have no idea how they move these 120 ton statues from one end of the island to the other. Um, There are so many mysteries and weird stuff that has happened and because the culture was so decimated by visitors that have come from like the 1700s, like the French and the Germans and the English and the Spanish and all of them are stopped by the island at some point that the culture had kind of been decimated. So the living um, oral stories weren't there anymore. And so it's just this whole island full of mysteries, uh, which is perfect for a writer.
0: Yeah, amazing. And so, if that's you know a place uh, of apocalypse destination one, mm-hmm. the second one would have to be Adelaide because nothing happens there.
1: <laughs> no, you forget that um, the hilltop hoods have proven. That Adelaide is a place for zombies, particularly the Adelaide jail. So no, I definitely wouldn't <laughs> go there. Zomb- zombies are. I stand Already, yes. already in Adelaide, um, but uh, my 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 second apocalypse location is actually um in Canada. So up in the Canadian Rockies, I did a gap year up there. Um, mm-hmm. Was there for, for a couple of months during summer, and there is this um, beautiful valley um, in in the Rockies near Banff. you, you kind yes. of climb. Up about four hours, and it's this place called the Ink Pots, and so are these beautiful blue little lakes that bubble for some weird reason. And it's you've climbed up for four hours, but it's like this plateau with even higher mountains surrounding it, and it's full of wildflowers and probably bears. I'll be honest about mm, that;
0: I would expect so.
1: But um, is one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been, and so remote, there is you. If you put a stockpile there, you could probably survive all sorts of zombie apocalypses.
0: It's like the, the Z for Zachariah,
1: mm, lifeboat location. Exactly. Exactly. Um, except for the, the bears. Um, <laughs> but yes, yes, definitely. And a big
0: shout out to my year 11 English teacher who probably wouldn't have thought I would still remember the core of Z for Zachariah.
1: It was one of the most interesting books they ever made us read.
0: Mm, and they did make us read and it. And they
1: did make us read it. That and 1984. They're the only books I remember from high school.
0: I remember playing Betty Bo. I had to read that.
1: No idea.
0: Uh, Ruth Park classic about uh, a girl who, wandering through the rocks, goes back in time. Mm. Um, yeah, it's 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 a bit of a, a, a bit of a it's a it's a happening thing. It happens.
1: <laughs> cool. I like that. Yeah, so Zephyr Zachariah was one of my favorites of the of the high school era. You know, Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. It was just before Apocalypses kind of came back into literature. Yep. And took over. So, you know, it was my first apocalypse novel. I very much enjoyed it.
0: What are you going to achieve in the next twelve months?
1: Uh well. <laughs> um Hopefully, we're going to be getting more stories up and running on on Story City, Mm -hmm. um, you know, providing professional development um, and a leg up for a whole heap more of Australian writers and artists. I'm working towards, as I said, kind of making um, Story City a national platform. But at the same time, um, I also have a trip around the world planned in this next 12-month period. So, chances are... That I will be skipping country to South America and hiking and walking and taking photos and writing stories um, across as many continents as I can get myself to.
0: Establishing some stockpiles.
1: That's right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Just in case. You never know where you're going to be trapped.
0: You can never be too prepared, Zika virus.
1: <laughs> yeah, apparently he goes after the women first. Bastard. Virus.
0: Look, it could be the the simian flu that uh, the new Planet of the Apes films talks about, how humans got wiped out, or it could be uh, the thing that causes Patient Zero for the zombie apocalypse.
1: Yeah, it could be. I just got to make sure I just cover myself like I'm, I am a walking like insect repellent. I can I can become a billboard for like tropical strength DEET.
0: <laughs> just get a sponsorship.
1: Yeah, that's right. You see someone walking around with like angry red skin because they've covered themselves with so much mosquito repellent. That's me. Walking lobster. (laughs) Hey, Emily. Hey, Steve.
0: Hey, thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today. Please know the things that you said are are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It was so lovely to be asked.
0: Well, overdue uh, in part. Very clearly, you are a tweeting person. Can you tell me, are there other social accounts you would want people to know about?
1: Uh, So the main ones that I kind of use is the um, at the Madeline Kane uh, Twitter, obviously. Uh, And then we have the the Story City page, Mm -hmm. which is uh, on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash Story City Adventures. Uh, and then I also have an Instagram account that I post on a lot, uh, which is called <laughs> Images for Joy, uh, because I like to post uh, happy things, and I like to like I like to write things that give people joy as well, because there's a lot of cruel and horrible stuff that goes on in the world, and while it should be examined, I think also that um, I would like to create things that don't dwell in that and instead celebrate the wonderful and awesome things that are in the world.
0: Reasonably so.
1: <laughs> what is it uh, in, I, I really love in the tomorrow uh, Tomorrowland movie, um, and yes, I do like the Tomorrowland movie. I thought it was great. Um, mm. Is that they said, um, the wolf that lives is the wolf that you feed. So, you know, if you have one that is um, all of the, the, bad thoughts in the world, and, and then you've got the one that's all of the joyful and happy things. If you just keep feeding the negative, the sorts of results that you're going to see in life just will continue to be negative, whereas you keep feeding the positive, then that keeps feeding people's, you know, hope and resolve. So
0: This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at the Madeline Kane is indeed human.
1: No, I am a robot. This is the worst robot voice ever.
0: <laughs> Look I was I wasn't going to say uh, but yes.